What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. Good to have you with us today. My name is Dean. What's up, everybody? I'm Zach. Yo, we're back again, the dynamic duo. And we're uh, we're really excited for today's episode. We're joined by our dear friend, Judy Brooks. Always a good time when Judy comes into the studio and hits record with us. And she always, well, not always, but quite often brings a friend along with her to share a conversation. And today was one of those days. And we were uh, absolutely thrilled and deeply honored to share a conversation today with Hereditary Chief Phil Lane Jr. Uh, He is an amazing, amazing individual. Um, We're so fortunate to be able to sit down with him, share stories, hear his wisdom, uh, hear his amazing laugh and joy for life, hear how he understands and views the world, the connection of all humans and our planet. Um, Just truly, truly an incredible conversation that we're honored to share. Um, As I mentioned, Chief Villane is a hereditary chief. He is a member of the Yangtanwin, Dakota and Chickasaw nations, and he's an internationally recognized leader in human community and economic development. Um, He's spent, you know, the last 40, almost 50 years of his life working with indigenous people from North, Central and South America through Micronesia, uh, Southeast Asia, India, Hawaii and Africa, speaking with people, um, not to give too much away, but he has an incredible line that he shared on the podcast that said, we're all indigenous, indigenous to somewhere and his work that he's done working with people from all these different places on our planet shows the connection that he has with with all people and recognizing the shared humanity among us all. Um, He served for 16 years as an associate professor at the Faculty of Education in Lethbridge, Alberta, here in Canada, and is just truly a remarkable human being filled with wisdom, equally so someone who's filled with wonder and a desire to learn and share and grow um, even at 79 years young. I love it. We were so fortunate to have this conversation and thankful to Judy for for lining it up and bringing him along with us and giving us the opportunity to learn um, from such a wise person who has had so many um, remarkable experiences and has so much to offer was, was truly incredible. And we know that you are going to love this conversation. Yeah, this was a very impactful conversation for myself. Uh, for those about to tune in, uh, we go deep into the soul, the human spirit, our connection to, to all beings, to the planet, and how they're all connected for this time, this lifetime, and those past and future. So it was a very um, soul-igniting conversation. I felt full. I felt that um, just listening to him my my existence felt in wholeness listening to the stories and the experiences that he shared so immense gratitude for for chief phil lane and for for judy for for creating space for these conversations and, and being such a meaningful part uh on this podcast and in our life in general i know judy uh anyone that she uh shares space and time and energy with is is left impacted with uh the love and curiosity and possibility that judy shares so i am excited to re-listen to this conversation myself and i'm excited for you guys to tune in yeah 
It's definitely, definitely going to be a good one. One that uh, I look forward to re-listening to already to just absorb the wisdom, to smile again as we listen. And uh, there's just some really, really profound and beautiful parts throughout this conversation. Uh, one last thing I'd say, sometimes you have a conversation, uh, you know, like we talk about energy a lot and how when someone comes into the room that has a bad energy, you can kind of, you can sense that, right? Um, Chief Phil Lane had the most beautiful energy and, and it just like, and of course, Judy always comes, you know, with her, with her presence and her, her, her love that she shares in her energy. But in some conversations, the, the vibrational energy of the, the, feeling between the group is so high and i just would say uh i hope that comes through in the conversation because the the vibes were at the highest level uh it was it was i could feel it on the inside and out during that conversation mm-hmm. and uh it's something i won't soon forget it's true yes very much so very very much so all right, before we kind of roll this over to this week's sponsors, uh, a few ways that you can support this podcast. Uh, one, support our sponsors, which we'll get into. Two, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, getting reviews and follows on the podcast platforms is the best way that we can spread this word to, to more people, more ears, more people and places so we are grateful for for all reviews and lastly if it resonates with you this episode just share it with a friend uh send it to someone that's close to you someone that you love that you think uh, would benefit from uh from this conversation all right on to this week's sponsors well first impressions matter there are no two ways around it and what's the first thing that someone notices about you in most cases it's your face and more importantly your skin If you aren't already, it's time to put your best face forward. And how do you do that? By adding a skincare routine, of course. And you know what? It's not hard. You just have to have the right tools. And what we have for you is the best tool that you can use. Caldera Lab is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. And it's the leader in men's skincare. And Caldera Lab is here to save the day and to save your skin. So use our exclusive code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com to enjoy 20% off their best products. And friends, you are not going to want to sleep on this. It is an incredible offer and incredible products. There's like this regimen that you have. Clean slate starts and ends your day. It's a face wash that leaves you feeling all refreshed, all skin types, feeling good, feeling refreshed. Then you got a base layer. It's your daily moisturizer that hydrates your skin. It absorbs fast, leaving you with a nice matte finish so you can start your day confidently. I love how it feels. It looks good. It feels good. And before bed, you've got this one silver bullet. It's called The Good. It's your go-to at night before bed, clinically proven multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tight and bright and smooth as well as it helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. And in every drop of this serum, there's 3.4 million antioxidants protecting your skin. That's amazing. The good's my favorite too. It contains 27 active botanicals infused over a four-week period. I always say this every week. The ingredients are so good you could eat them. They're all plants, everyday plants that uh, you you can read on a label and you can visualize what that plant actually is. I'm always dumbstruck when I go and look at, you know, the modern skincare products at a grocery store and I don't understand the words that are in the product. 
knowing that our skin is our biggest organ. We put these products on our skin and we absorb them. So we might as well, you know, we always say you are what you are. You are what you eat, but you are what you put on your skin as well. For so, sure. Dean, if we want some Caldera Lab in our life, what's the best way to get it? You want to visit calderalab.com and use our code MOREGOOD. That's for 20% off at calderalab.com using the code MOREGOOD. Jump into skin and first impression royalty with Caldera Lab. All right. This week's episode was also brought to you by AG1. That's right. Tell me about AG1, Dina. We love AG1. We've been drinking it for quite some time now, and I feel like it's really just leveled up our health game. It's one of those things, it's like a simple micro habit that you can do. Wake up, I drink it first thing in the morning, and I just really enjoy the taste of it. I enjoy the ritual of it, and most importantly, I enjoy what I know what it's doing for me. It's amazing, whole food, high quality ingredients, 75 nutrients, minerals. It's got all your vitamins in there. It's got probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens to help with energy, to help with stress, all of the things that kind of come at us in this world that we live in. Um, drinking AG1 is just like this simple hack that has a profound benefit. And so I love to drink it. I love how it makes me feel and knowing that, you know, doing this one small thing has tremendous benefit for my overall health and well-being. And um, I can't think of any other daily routine that pays off as well as AG1. One scoop once a day, every day. You know, it's like that saying, I love how you do anything is how you do everything. And I'm all about consistency and stacking positive habits that lead to more possibility in my life. And having this routine is the best foot forward every single day. I wake up, I call it my wake and shake, I feel amazing, and I know that it's gonna be a good day, or at least I'm giving myself the best possibility to start my day well when I start it with AG1. That's right. So health starts in the gut, daily routines made it easy, working in harmony, each of the 75 ingredients in AG1 work together to help us feel our best. So Diener, if, uh, those listening want to have some AG1 and start their day, how we start our day, how can they do it? That's right. Well, we've got you covered for your simple, effective investment into your health. Try AG1 and get five free AG1 travel packs with a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash more good. That's drinkag1.com slash more good. Check it out. You're going to want to get after it, friends. All right, on to this week's episode. All right, welcome back to another week of A Little More Good. We are so excited to be here. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to express gratitude. We're here with our dear friend and, and regular co-host Judy Brooks, and, and Judy has brought with her Chief Phil Lane. Chief Phil, we're so grateful for, for you being here and making time to to share your presence, to share your message and your energy. And and we all know that um, time and energy is the greatest currency. So we're, we're grateful for you sharing your time and your energy and your message with us. And, and we're so excited to, to dive into conversation and, and to sit in presence with you. And, um, you know, I'm really excited just to, to share conversation and, and see where this goes to today. So thank you, thank you, thank mm -hmm. you. Thank and thank you, you. and Thanks thank you so, so much. Um, I mean, we're going to go everywhere because where else would we go but everywhere? 
but I, I think it's appropriate, you know, we've sort of done this like series within a series, <laughs> within a little more good, then there's me and a little more good, and then there's me in these last sort of three or four that we've done together, three or four of 10 we were just talking about uh, around the medicine of, you know, and, and there was the, the medicine of sound where we had Mike on, there's the, the medicine of, you know, sort of that peak experience of the hot and cold with, with Robbie. And, um, so, so much we talk about on, in our conversations together, Zach and Dean and, and, and here on the pod when we're together is about this idea of devotion and ritual and, and reciprocity has come up so much. And, and I think in devotion and ritual, the idea of prayer, which I know <laughs> big smile from Dean mm-hmm. has different resonance perhaps for all of us, mm-hmm. but, um, but we have, uh, a hereditary chief with us in, in, in Chief Phil, but we also have um, a, a wisdom keeper of prayer. And so I would ask if you would, so, so, so humbled if you would share prayer with us as we open. Thank you, thank you. Odin Kashla, Wakantaka, creator of the universe, most beloved one, all-powerful one, most kind one, most compassionate one, ever-forgiving one. O most merciful one, O ancient of days, O blessed beauty, we call upon your holy power to infuse us, each and every one of us, through the everywhere spirit with wisdom, compassion, dedication, and overwhelming love and forgiveness for ourselves and all life. We especially remember at this time all those relatives who are closer than our closest vein, who inspire us, who walk that red road before us and give thanksgiving. We call upon all the tribes and nations of the East from where comes the red sunrise to come together in unity and harmony in thankfulness inspire us with the most loftiest thoughts and feelings and ideals. We call upon all the tribes and nations of the South from where comes new life. Come together in unity and harmony, compassion, with the understanding that we are one human family, and the herd of one is a herd of all and the love, upliftment, and compassion for one. It's a love and compassion for all. We call upon all the tribes and nations of the West from where comes thunder, lightning, and rain. They might come together in unity and harmony. And the spiritual power of thunder, lightning, and rain might awaken our souls and hearts and minds to the oneness and the beautiful fabric of creation that we are all beautifully interconnected. Mm-hmm. We've traveled that road from east to west, and now we give honor and respect to all the tribes and nations of the south from where comes new life. They might come together in unity and harmony, happiness and joy. 
into the north from where comes the white snow on that path of life. All the tribes and nations of the north might come together in unity and harmony and kindness and compassion with the understanding we are one human family. We are all indigenous peoples to this Mother Earth and to this beloved universe in which we live in, of time and space. In Kaishalwakantika, we give our honor, respect, the powers of Father Sky, also ask forgiveness. As we know, the masculine dimensions of ourselves have been very, very overbalanced to the destructive side. It's almost brought us, our human family and all life, to the brink of destruction. So we ask forgiveness. And we step back with great honor and love, respect. Pond, our mother earth in which we walked, and give her thanksgiving for all the life she gives and her representatives upon this Mother Earth, womankind. We pray with all our soul, the depths of our being, the inmost chambers of our heart, we might awaken the spiritual reality that the eagle, the condor, the hummingbird, the quetzal have two wings. One is man and one is woman. Reflecting all the divine qualities we have, each of us as a human being, until both those wings have equal power and respect and honor and glory. The eagle of humanity will never fly its highest. Oh my God, oh my God. Unite the hearts of thy servants and reveal unto them thy great purpose. May they follow in thy commandments and abide in thy law. Help them, O God, in their endeavor and grant them straight to serve thee. O God, leave them not to themselves, but guide their steps to the light of knowledge and share their hearts by thy love. Verily, or their helper and their guide. And as we conclude, what we have to say as Dakota people, we always say, say, my names are Shunkmano and Shinupasapa, and I stand fully responsible for the whole, before the Creator for all my words in my actions, how we chant it, watch it. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank that you. That's beautiful. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, beautiful. Um, if you were all the listeners were here in studio uh, today, you would see a number of things. You would see um, the beautiful and joyous faces of Zach and Dean, which always brings my heart huge joy you would see um a very very handsome chief with a forehead that's got the whole world on it and um and i'm honored and you would see that i am uh sitting here with uh, recovering from um from a bit of an injury on the ski hill that included breaking about five <laughs> times my leg or five places and and why I bring up that is because it's going to come up a lot because it's it's resonating with me so much on so many levels of humanity and of understanding my own nervous system and of like, yeah, different kind of, you know, I, I hope that I often walk in humility, but this idea of like, I, I've been like humbleness, there's humbleness. And I thought, oh, what was, what does that mean? And to me, it was this 
deep gratitude with deep vulnerability is what I think that is what I think this time. And I also said I've never been so aware of um, my body being separate and apart from my soul. I said that to Chief Fell and it's, you know, and, and he had brought along with him some considerations around soul. Um, and so I have so much to ask and so much to talk about, even in that prayer it resonates so deeply with the things mm -hmm. we've talked about, about accountability and responsibility. But I want to start with soul. Um, yeah, so Chief Fell, tell us about soul. I think we need to go back to our beginning, yeah. our conception. And from <clears throat> the elders who taught me, it's our understanding that at the moment of conception, in fact, now they've actually photographed it, there's a flash of light. At that time, we believe we're born, each of us, a sovereignty, ancient, imperishable, and everlasting. And that we begin our journey within the womb world, in our womb suit, so to speak. And of course, while we're in the womb, we are completely being nourished to the umbilical cord of our mother, existing in a universe we have no idea of its immensity. We're so tiny when we're conceived that it would take a microscope to see this tiny, tiny, tiny pinpoint of life that contains within us all the experiences of all those that have gone before us for each and every one of us is a spiritual representative of all that have gone before since the very beginning there has no beginning. And of course, in the womb world, we begin to grow our physical arms and legs and eyes and ears of our earth suit. And slowly but surely, we go through many forms. In fact, doctors have told me that at one stage you can't tell the human fetus from a pig fetus. And we take all kinds of shapes and forms as we begin to develop our arms and legs and eyes and ears, our physical senses, capacity to see, smell, to feel, to taste, to hear. And as we begin to reach the time to leave the womb world, to come into this world of time and space, we don't know when that journey might begin, just like we don't know when our journey to the other side camp, as we call the spiritual worlds beyond. And yet, in time, as we do our isometric exercises, so to speak, inside to get ourselves strong and kick and move, in our traditional way, we began to sing to the child within the womb because we knew that all in this universe is frequency and vibration. So we, we knew that the vibration of the drum and those sacred songs would impact the child at this very, very, very epigenetic stage of 
growth and development. And of course, first would come the water, because we were born in water, in fact, with almost the exact salt content as the ocean. And as we come into this world, we leave behind our womb suit. And now we emerge in our earth suit. And of course, in our tribes, in many different ways, we would always honor the ambionic sac, the afterbirth, and would have ceremony with it to put it in a tree or put it in a special place because that is what was part of our life. Just as we always cared for the physical earth suit, even though we know the soul and spirit was gone, we honored that for carrying us to this journey. And so here we are in the spiritual world of time and space in the physical dimension. And so what's our purpose here? Of course, we can certainly, I can certainly tell you, it's not at 78 years old to grow physically. Because <laughs> my dad said, you just wear out. That's a fact. The earth suit wears out. And that's destined to do that. Because our purpose here is to grow our physical arms and legs and eyes and ears and gifts. And we know we develop these gifts through tests and challenges we face in life, to the prayers we make in which we open ourselves up to a higher power, a higher power to us that we called something sacred moving because it was so great beyond our greatest thought. It transcended the world of names in the world of syllables and sounds for it is something beyond this physical world of time and space. Now, at that time of conception, talked about this bestowal of a soul a sovereignty, ancient, imperishable, and everlasting. And these are some of the qualities or dimensions of the soul that have been passed on. They'll share and then we can discuss these. Our soul is independent of and the very source of our body's existence. If our body is destroyed, our soul and spirit remain unharmed. Our soul, our human spirit, is independent of our physical body. Our soul is free and sanctified beyond this physical world of time and space. Our rational soul, the human spirit, does not descend into our bodies or exist through our physical bodies. It's just the opposite. Our soul is the very substance and foundation upon which our body depends for existence. I'm going to close. There are other, others of these I'll be happy to share. But I'm going to close with this one. The soul has no gender, race, ethnicity, or class. This makes all forms of prejudice, whatever they may be, intolerable and unacceptable. Our soul is not divided. It is a reflection of the oneness 
of our Creator. I'm going to pick it up right on that last one because you and I had a moment for a little hot chocolate earlier. And I said to you, you know, here you, you're joining us as a hereditary chief, as um, Indigenous. And in this world now where we're, there's been much more sharing, we're, we're, maybe it's always being shared, we're listening more deeply uh, about what has happened and, and, and how, what has been taken. And I said, you know, I get people call me and say, well, you know, I'm really interested in, in knowing more. And where do I kind of go? Like, where's 1-800-indigenouspeople.com to know? And I was like, tell me how you feel about how um, somebody of, of who, who's white, who's not of, of an indigenous background, how you learn and tell me about how in learning, it might feel like we, we, we throw around words like cultural appropriation now, or where it feels extractive. And you shared with me your thoughts about that. Sure. Yeah. When I talk about the prior unity and oneness of our human family and all life, I'm really essentially uh, in that prior unity and oneness saying that all of us were always part of this creation. Always. Hmm. All of us here. And we know, for instance, that the iron we have on all our blood comes from supernovas. Mm -hmm. Well, truly, we're children of the stars was we always identified Pleiades, as do our relatives in Australia, who, who don't like to be called indigenous, but we say we're star relatives. And Frank, Frank Foolscove, who to me was one of the great, great teachers we had in the, in the 1970s and 80s, said we must share what we understand and know. He's referring specifically to ceremonies and prayer and so forth. Because if we don't, our Mother Earth's going to die. Or the death of our Mother Earth, we're going to die. So I think that we have to, to obviously, uh, whether you're an, quote unquote an indigenous person, we're all indigenous to Mother Earth if you really think about it. Yeah. We're, we're all indigenous yeah. to Earth. But at the same time, if we refer to the indigenous people, let's say here, the incredible land of the Musqueam, Tlaiwatus, Squamish, and not now where I live, the, the Semiamu, uh, these relatives of the, of the Salish nation, they have certain protocols that you do in order to become a smokehouse dancer or to receive a drum or to receive a name or... And then now, because we're all sharing our various cultural perspectives with Inikaka, Sweat Lodge, Sun Dances, and so forth, there's protocols, no matter who you are, that you follow of respect and honor to prepare yourself for this spiritual experience and for truly making relatives. You know, uh, 
I think it's time that we have to come together as a human family and take off all these titles. We're just Shaywatch Josh. We're just natural human beings here. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Four of us sitting here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we, yes, you can understand that there's various titles and all kinds of things in this physical world of time and space, but in the spiritual sense, each one of us is sovereignty, ancient and perishable and everlasting. Mm-hmm. Each one of us is worthy of the same respect as any other member of our human family. And I always say as well that if anyone uh, likes what I have to say or understands it or somehow feels inspired by it because it, it inspires something within you, well, if you didn't already know it and could see it, you couldn't know it and see it from me. I'm just a mirror. We're just mirrors to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes we can be mirrors <laughs> not in the ways that are helpful yeah. <laughs> or helpful but not wanting unless yeah. we go any further we don't need to go any further on that yeah. but <laughs> you know I think that if we understand <laughs> that you know if we teach our children that the purpose of this life is to acquire material physical things we've we have destined them to great unhappiness because mm-hmm. there's very only a limited about material things in this world. <laughs> but if they understand our purpose here is to grow our spiritual qualities, spiritual arms and legs and eyes here, to become more kind, more compassionate, more loving, more just, that can go on forever because these are spiritual qualities that we understand at one point in our life, completely different than another point of our life mm-hmm. because they're eternal. Therefore, with the definition, it means infinite, which means infinite meaning. What a more exciting journey. You know, you could pick up all these material things for our children, you know, the video games, the the latest apps and technology, and, you know, eventually you play that game and you get to the ending and, and what's next. But if we can pivot that and change that paradigm, like you're speaking, to go on a, a spiritual journey, it, there is that true infinite nature, you know, going inward, connecting with others outwardly, you know, there is no beginning or end. It's just an adventure, an exploration of of self and other. Uh, Permission to read this one from your, this is from your, your readings. Um, Our soul is endowed from our beginning in this physical world of time and space with its own individuality. Our soul does not acquire it because of our body. Our soul does not acquire it because of our body. So that idea of acquisition is interesting to me as it relates to material mm-hmm. as opposed to, like you talked about, innate curiosity, the acquiring of, um, the acquiring vis-a-vis curiosity that then you, you turn into your own wisdom. And it's like you said, my the resonance that I feel when I listen to you is a reflection of my own wisdom that I am feeling inside of me, I see inside of me. And we talked about that before, like just gathering all the information and then spitting it out again isn't wisdom, it's just spitting out of information. So yeah, soul, the soulness of it all. And uh, yeah, so you guys both have young kids. We've talked about this many times before. You know, you're sitting here listening now what does it reflect for you as parents of where it is that you can get caught in um, acquisition of, of, you know, 
of something else. Because I, I was saying to Chief Phil earlier, you're also of that age where you're building and, you know, like you're taking care of you. You kind of want somewhere to live. <laughs> you kind of want groceries. But what is it? What, what resonates for you? Where do you find that push and pull in yourselves? That's a that's a good question. I think for me, it's um, finding like keeping first things first. So as you alluded to, Judy, like in this world, the way that it's currently structured, you, you have to live and live somewhere and pay for all of the things that are required to be part of this version of the world that we're currently in. And I think that for so many people, that has become the first thing. That's the most important thing on their mind is how am I going to secure the goods that I want and to acquire more of them and typically to get more wealth and amass more. And the sad reality of that is that we've fallen into the trap of what's most important is like the number in my bank account or how happy I feel with all of this stuff that I've created for myself. And I think having children for me has been the ultimate um, disruption to that because all of a sudden I am no longer the center of my story. I want to bring my children into the center and give to them the best opportunity to have the most meaningful life they can have. Okay, but my question on that then, Dean, is do you ever get caught in the way to do that is to also acquire on on their behalf? Absolutely. Absolutely, I get caught. Yeah. But then I think the moments that you realize they don't care about the latest thing or the toy or the physical object that is going to bring happiness what actually makes them the most happy is like crawling on the floor and playing with them and laughing with them and taking interest in the things that they're interested in, which are like the simplest things. Mm -hmm. And those are often the most spiritual things. Mm -hmm. So them wanting to stay up late a couple of weeks ago because there was the off chance that from way down here in our Southern corner of BC, we could see the Aurora Borealis, <laughs> yeah. the Northern Lights. And this was all they wanted to do. They could care less about anything. They wanted to be able to stay up and see this magic in the sky. Yeah. And knowing like, oh, you should go to bed because it's going to be super late. <laughs> but then at the same time being like, no, this moment of like walking out into the backfield and hoping it's going to be dark enough to maybe see some <laughs> flickers of green. <laughs> right? That, that is the most important thing. And you can't buy that. You can't. No. You can't get that. You can watch it on TV, whatever, but it's not the same. So I think that for me, it's coming back to the moments where we're most embodied mm -hmm. in ourselves and experiencing one another in the world in its simplest form is often for me, the most profound moments of like, this is what it's all about actually being here, being now, being present with these little ones and, and learning from them. Really. I've learned so much from them seeing the world through their eyes. What about for you, Zach? Thank you, Dean. Yeah, I think, I mean, firstly, thank you, Chief Phil, for all of these reminders and, and reflections. I think where I get can get caught up mm -hmm. is exchanging material things for time. If I'm at mm -hmm. work, if I'm busy, um, trying to build this side of things where I'm trying to make money to pay for homes and groceries and all of that. You know, if I don't see them until dinner time or whatnot, I, I can get caught where I try to exchange a gift for, for my time, you know, like I'll come home with 
a chocolate bar or some Pokemon cards or something that will bring wow and excitement to, to me coming home when really that gift should be my time and my presence and my attention to, to them instead of, you know, something shiny that is going to bring joy to them momentarily, but the joy that would last and pass on to future generations is that, that gift of attention and time. And, and I've got this, this Uncle Ron that I'm always in awe of, and he comes over and the boys love him. And it's just because he's fully present with them. And I think that is the lesson. It's just putting away the devices, the shiny things, and getting to their level and going to their world, whether that's an imaginary one or a physical one, and just being being with them. Remember that song? Uh, Cats that, in the Cradle? No. That, I was thinking I, that one. Yes. Uh, there's a song, I don't know if you know it, and I won't sing it because I'll spare you all that. But <laughs> it's, uh, there's a, a song that's often used in ceremony that it says, it says humble. It's called humble. Humble your eyes in, yourself in the eyes of the children you got to get down low and humble yourself in the eyes of children. you got to know what they know. Mm. And I think that's it. It's just not till you get down and, and humble that you can actually see the magic. But it also occurred to me because, you know, I have the two little ones in my life, Clint yes. and Rosen, and um, how frustrated I can get when they want something. Like they went and like it's, they spent two days with their grandfather. They had this beautiful two days and then they got all pouty because they couldn't get an ice cream. And I thought about my I mean, these are beautiful children. Right. But I thought, oh, they're just a reflection of my own um, distaste for when I get oriented towards something that's, you know, of of just desire of of trite desire mm. as opposed to sole purpose so i was thinking about that too how we can get so mad at kids when really they're just reflecting us all of the time you know so yeah it's like a lot of those habits are just we've given them we've, we've given, given them, them those, and then right? we're like mad when they want more of it <laughs> that's so funny i'm gonna switch gears for a second yes. um because there's there's more soul teachings on this piece of paper and we'll come back to that but I feel like it may be really important um, if you would Chief if you would um, to to share why this moment on earth this moment is such an important moment in as you see it in the eyes of you and what you you're observing you've witnessed what you're part of you know more than 500 years ago through prophecies of indigenous people across the Americas, one of which is really coming alive at this time, the reunion of the condor and eagle prophecy. It was foretold that a long spiritual wintertime was coming, of about 500 years, and that the indigenous peoples of the Americas would go through tremendous, tremendous suffering and challenges as our relatives who had gone through so much hurt, despair, and colonization, oppression, genocide, in their, in their search to find peace 
would travel from the east across the great waters and come to these lands. Of course, the Hopi's prophecy said, Be beware, because when that day comes, people will build tra tra trails across this land and travel across those trails and bugs. Because one time I shared this prophecy with a group of young children. They said, what are those bugs? And they said, Volkswagens. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you're going to build cobwebs across this land and speak across those cobwebs. You're going to build trails across the sky and travel across those trails and birds. And when that day comes, the earth will be shaken once, twice, when the earth is shaken twice, two of the powers that will shake the earth. One will have the sight of the rising sun coming from the west, and the other will have the sign opposite that of life. And of course, we use, we call the whirling logs, which is the same sign used by Nazi Germany, except it's turned in the exact opposite direction. He said, after the second shaking of the earth, look to the eastern part of this land, for a great house of mica will be built. Mica is like glass. And people from all over Mother Earth will come there to speak about peace. And sure enough, the United Nations was built, and the Hopis went and tried to gain audience with the nations of the world to share with them the future of our human family and the suffering we're going to, to endure unless we listen to these original teachings that were one and so forth. And of course, they were not allowed to come. And I had the opportunity to meet these wonderful elders back. I began my journey back in 1967. Thomas Banyaka was one that carried this message. He was one of the carriers of his prophecies. And so these same prophecies reflected in different cultural ways were across the Americas because, you know, one thing I guess that when I first began to, to get this message, and by the way, I, I respect and honor all sacred teachers that bring about the teachings of love, compassion, forgiveness, and so forth, but it really struck me strange when people, I, I can't call it Christianity at all, because it has nothing to do with the teachings of being kind and loving, compassionate, forgiving, and all this, I call it churchianity, when people begin to say, well, the only truth and light came to one people at one time in history, we had to wait around over 2,000 years for it to arrive over here. I mean, this kind of, I mean, would a loving, care, caring parent <laughs> treat their children where they only give one to one child and <laughs> said, wait around? No. We know that all peoples had sacred teachers that came and taught the same basic spiritual truths, spiritual foundations. In fact, if you think about it, this has great, great meaning here today in this world we live in. Because you can use a hammer, I'm using that as a symbol of technology, to build a beautiful home or to hit somebody in the head. Mm -hmm. So all this incredible technology is coming along today. People are so frightened about AI and so forth. It's, it's the spiritual condition and qualities and values and morals of the people handling the technology that is going to have it to be something uplifts our human family. In fact, 
back in 1975, a group of young men and I were out seeking out elders. <laughs> you know, that time I had them. black curly hair, I had black curly hair, I was about three inches taller, my plumbing worked perfectly, the whole worked. <laughs> and boy, I'll tell you, we were seeking out these elders. And we heard about these two elders down at a place called Sweat House Lodge outside of Corvallis, Oregon, was first to use the Anika Pile, the Sweat Lodge, in, in treating addiction. So we went down there, and there were quite a pair. Uh, Eddie Belrose was younger than Abe Bernstein, both Crees. So Abe would only speak in Cree when he had teachings to give, prophecies to give, and Abe would then translate for us. And uh, he told us many prophecies, and many of them seen come true and are coming true. The one thing at the time we couldn't understand, they said, someday, you young men are going to witness, in essence, the everywhere spirit made physically manifest on the earth. And they said, when that day comes, you're going to look in front of you and you're going to be able to talk to, up to people on the other side of Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Everything has been uncovered. In this long spiritual winter times, it'll be uncovered. And they went on to detail all these things about this everywhere spirit. We knew it wasn't the telephone. A telegraph, a radio, television, and then phone. I just uh, become a, f- a faculty member of the University of Lethbridge in Alberta, and boom, had a mainframe. And then every detail of what they said was true. And so immediately, even though I still type with one finger. <laughs> Super quickly with one finger, I saw. <laughs> with one finger, because here I was, this is the foolishness we have. I was in high school. I loved athletics. My mother used to typewriter, would type things for my dad. So, okay, yes, women type. <laughs> How stupid was that? <laughs> so now I emerge, and I love to write, but it's pretty hard through one finger. you know. And sure enough, exactly what they said. That we are all interconnected mm-hmm. spiritually, and now we're beginning to realize it physically through the everywhere spirit made physically manifest upon the earth, the everywhere spirit. So, what I see unfolding is that as prophesied, the eagle and condor did unite during the period of March. 21st, 1970, and July 9th, 1971, where the transfer of this prophecy was completed at Lake Titicaca on the Isle of the Sun, first in the Isle of the Moon, in the evening at the Royal Seat of the Incas. And prayers were given. And then the prophecy said that this would unite all the indigenous people of the Americas in process would unite all members of the human family because we're one. And because of the very idea of the last shall become first, so to speak, or, or the, the, the idea that material power is more, more important or powerful than the spiritual, this would be literally a fulfillment of demonstrating the spiritual dimension is the power. And a people can be completely devastated from around 100 million now and about 108 million, some scholars are saying, down to about 15 or 10 million. Can you imagine? 
And yet, we know there's no death, just a change of worlds. So all those relatives are still here with us. And this, you know, we think this physical world of time and space is great. Well, you can compare the womb world we were in to this world, how great that is. Well, the spiritual worlds beyond are just like in comparison to the womb world when we were in the baby of this world, that much greater. You can imagine, unbelievable. And so, here we are. We are awakening. The tools that have come from the same source. That's why, why our elders always said, science and spirituality are one. True science and true spirituality are one because they come from the same source. But science without spirituality becomes Frankenstein, a Frankenstein. At the same time, uh, spirituality without reason becomes fanaticism. <laughs> so we have to know that the gifts we're getting are an infusion of science and spirituality because we're really one. Uh, I just, I absolutely love everything you're talking about. Like, I honestly, it's so good. I feel like I'm on the verge of tears the whole time because I'm like, yes, it's just like resonating so deeply with my soul, but I, I see, you know, if we want to talk about like a modern Western worldview is so we, some people might call it scientific and they would be speaking of like scientific devoid of spiritual and it's very reductionist. Let's get down to the smallest thing and let's divide everything up, right? Even, even if you look at our, our modern medical system, if you have an issue, you know, with your lower body, you go see the person who specializes in the lower body who will refer you to the specialist of the knee or the ankle or that specific joint and it's reductionist and it's separate. And that can be really beneficial in understanding, but we get so reductionist that we forget to look at that ankle is connected to a body which that physical health is connected to that person's mental health, which is connected to their spiritual health. And we forget that it's all connected. And what I love in what you are saying and what I like love and cherish about ancient or indigenous wisdom is like bringing us back to recognize that it's all connected. Yes. You can't understand the function of an ankle without understanding the functioning exactly. of the body, which really needs the function of community. Yes. And I think that in our modern world, we get so caught up in the minutia and it's fascinating and we can look at it and study it and separate it and break it down to its smallest part. And there's value in that, but not at the expense of separating it from seeing the whole thing, the whole picture. And I think that on a soul level, mm -hmm. That's the other part that I feel like in our in our modern moment, our modern world is missing out on is saying we've understood the physical and all of this and we've kind of neglected the soul because that's like woo woo or out there or we know better now because those are myths or those are things that, you know, people used to hold as true. And now I feel like we're in some ways poised for a moment to return to that like soul knowledge and that soul knowing. When you were also talking about this idea of spirituality and science and and when it became um, extracted to mankind, um, it also struck me that it was when we believe that it is the only way, like we've talked about this besides before, science is not the science of I've got the answer and now I'm not going to pay attention. It's I've got a I've got an answer right now and I'm still paying attention to more information. Then it's not spirituality sort of the same. 
isn't it like I'm resonating with something now, but I'm not attaching to this particular thing as singular and the only thought. In fact, I'm paying attention to more information that comes my way from, from the messages of my body to the messages of the world to the messages of, you know, if we said walking through mm-hmm. a forest. So I, I think all of those things are, yeah. are important to understand as we just, the idea that we stop being in curiosity, you know, stop being, um, and we've got a single source answer. That's the right answer that we're going to impose. You said something earlier. It was cracking me up because Zach and I talked about this many years ago and we bought a pub in the pod a few times is um Chifil was talking about like sweetening the sweetening the truth or sweetening your message. Mm. And he talked about at one time uh during, you know, where he had an opportunity to speak to a big group where he like put his fist down on the table when asked what what he wanted and he said i want my people to be free loud <laughs> loud with yeah, his big bang so zach did that <laughs> about veganism <laughs> and i was like is there another way that you might want to invite people into this <laughs> and and he has and has done a beautiful job but it was that moment yeah. when you said it i i pictured you know this one here mm. <laughs> so sweetening the message sweetening and inviting people in to you know, a perspective for them to in their, for them to decide in their own sovereignty, their own autonomy, yeah. their own wisdom. You know, and after, after I did this very loud, I mean, rah, <laughs> bam, I mean, I hit the table and about 500 people jumped. I want to see my people free. And then very gracefully, the, the uh, this beautiful spiritual teacher, <clears throat> Guru Mai, said, Phil, it sounds like you're angry. Mm-hmm. He said, I am, and it's true. Bam! Like this again. Then the teaching came. Phil, you have to make your truth sweet so it'll touch the hearts of the people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if your truth is angry or hateful or revengeful, it's going to touch those feelings in them. They'll never hear you. And yeah. mm-hmm. learn to make truth sweet it little so touch the hummingbird the medicine there a little hummingbird medicine, hummingbird medicine. <laughs> sweetest nectar yes. sweetest nectar yes. yeah and they know where it is too yeah, they do <laughs> always in the field of everything they know exactly where to go but isn't that the thing right like just as you would use that that story about us growing in in the womb world and eventually we we keep growing physically and then we outgrow that and need to move on to the the next expression of life outside of the womb like that isn't that so true about how we live here and i i I mean we could probably all think of individuals that we know that are just continually becoming more and more expansive in their spiritual understanding and their growth you know in this physical plane even though we're as tall and as wide as maybe we'll get or hopefully as wide as we'll get (laughs) and then we know people who who are not continuing to grow and they wouldn't hear a message like, Phil, make it sweeter. They'd be like, no, I'm angry and I'm justified. And so I'm going to keep being that. And then rather than taking the opportunity to expand, we contract or we stay where we are. And, and I feel like our purpose, I'm hearing, you know, our purpose is just to continue to expand and grow. And that might mean discomfort. And we have to do some of those calisthenics to figure out where is there going to be room for this. But that's a huge part of our purpose here is to continue to learn and grow and listen and observe and change maybe our perspective. Be an inquiry, yeah. Be an inquiry yes. around in the world. Yes. In all aspects of it, you know, mm-hmm. humble. Yeah, one of the teachings of, about the soul, the nature of the soul, mm-hmm. and 
experience here in this physical world of time and space that has been a great uh, salve to my soul, so to speak, for the time I've spent out trying to save the world, <laughs> as one of my daughters said, <laughs> is that the reality that a love that anyone may have had for anyone will not be forgotten in the spiritual worlds, nor will we forget the life we have in this physical world. So the one thing I know, that, because we're sharing this love here together, right here, we're on a spiritual journey together forever. I am my children, who I love, the depths of my soul, we're together on a journey forever. And so we're just getting started. We haven't even had breakfast yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're just getting started. Just waking just up. Start. And so those things which we regret from the past, we have every opportunity if we continue on our journey in a good way to balance all those things. Can you imagine? Wow, what a journey. Yeah, that excites me just knowing that. And I think we can feel that, you know, we're just waking up to a possibility. And I think when we put that lens on, you know, all the doors that were closed start to open. Uh, when I was listening to an interview with yourself on, on YouTube, um, you were speaking to our, our connection to, you know, to land, plants, animals, others. And I, I feel in terms of intuition and connection, you know, we've closed a lot of those doors. We've disconnected from from others in a lot of ways, whether that's plants, animals. Mm -hmm. Can can you speak to our relationship, our connection to to land and animals sure. and others? Sure. The white buffalo calf woman came to the Ocheti Shikowan. This seven council fires back around 950 uh, AD, according to my dear Tashi. Kevin Locke, who's since passed the spiritual world. And she brought her teachings in songs and ceremonies, which still are, frequencies are still with us, <laughs> which I really believe has, has allowed us to sur survive as the Ocheti Shakoa to this time. And a song that was passed on to me many, many years ago by my dear Koda George Rowan soldier from Rosebud Minikashu really is the foundation song of the white buffalo calf woman of foundation understanding, I believe. And the song goes like this. <clears throat> We're speaking about the pipe note was Waikiae calls upon the powers of the universe to behold this. And it's usually when you're preparing a sacred pipe. Behold this. It says, The pipe is sacred of sacred. But we're not just really saying, because everything is symbolic in our teachings. It says, the bowl, which represents the mineral world, our middle relatives, they're sacred. But the pipe, of course, is a stem. So then it says, all our plant relatives, they're sacred. And then we begin seeing this synergistic relationship we have with our plant relatives, breathing in, you know, 
carbon dioxide and breathing out oxygen and all those other relationships we have with our plant relatives. You know, we're, we're understanding more and more uh, through, you know, understanding how mushrooms, you know, connect everything. And then, of course, uh, there's always a representation of the, our animal relatives, an eagle feather or whatever. Mm. Animal people have the power of the senses. So the power of cohesion or unity, like the mineral people, because it makes up all structure, including the cellular foundation of a tree or a plant and all our plant relatives, right? And then the animal relatives, of course, are a reflection and have their whole structure, wings or legs or horns or whatever it is, their whole system is a reflection of mineral people. It has a spirit of growth like the plant people, but also the power of the senses. That's why we watch so carefully every leaf and rock and every bird. And as you know, in horses too, that the tympanium of the ear is just like a barometer. So it can be a beautiful, clear day. Sun can be shining. Then the pressure will change. We can't tell it's change. But that little bird can tell. The horse can tell. They'll start moving in a certain way. And you can say, oh, big storm's coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can imagine what some of the European explorers thought when we said, very beautiful, sunny day. Oh, storm's coming. Oh, and a storm would come. Oh, are they doing some kind of magic? No, just simply you, you know the world you live in, you know. And then, of course, we come to then putting the pipe together. Bull, Mother Earth, womankind, the stem, mankind. And we put those together in a sacred manner. And then we have the human being. If you take the pipe and turn it upwards where you have the mouth of the pipe here, you'll see the human being there. And of course, then as you fill that pipe, there's so many meanings to this. It's just one little dimension of it. But as you're filling that pipe in your mind the different directions, you fill that, you're putting in different parts of creation. You're praying for this, all these things, the bowl of the pipe. So when you add the fire to the end of the pipe, on the tobacco or tinny connect, how you put that together, that fire could be like the, the fire that burns away the veils of the self. And so when you inhale that, that smoke is a distillation of all oneness. So a recognition of oneness. And so that's, that's where we see the ontological levels of creation, which science has broken into, into the four dimensions. They have sciences for every single one of the study of the mineral people. I don't know how many different sciences they have studying the mineral people, how many they have studying the, the, the plant relatives, how many study the animal relatives, and they combine those, and then how many studying the human beings. But we're really one. And the herd of one is the herd of all. And the heart and lungs of this world are in the Amazon. <laughs> and if we don't watch out, as well as this craziness of war, you know, we're, we're on a path here of some pretty severe wake-up calls. But we will survive. It's also our prophecies are very clear about this. We will survive. But there's certain teachings of how 
and how we need to move together to move out of this incredible situation we're finding ourselves in. Boom. Chief Phil and I talked earlier about this idea. I was thinking, as you're explaining, I have this beautiful pipe that was sent to me, shared with me, gifted, and um, and as these things have come into my life, I don't have these these wisdom teachings of lineage, but I've started to um, pay reverence and care to them. And we were talking about what you give reverence to, what you give devotion to, what you give care to. I think of that even with kids. They, they, that gives power, you know? And um, I was sharing with Chief Fell is this a grandmother doll got introduced to me and uh, by a maker from Montreal, uh, original nations maker. And it is a medicine doll. So I, she, all I did was send her a picture of my eyes. She didn't know anything about me. And I go out into nature and I give an offering. In this case, it was um, some tobacco and give prayer and allowance and came back this doll, which took many months. And of course, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm like a little bit excited, but I'm trying not to bug because it's her process. It took probably six months. And, um, and it came with messages that, you know, that she picked up in her ceremonies and her prayers. Um, and the messages were so on point, so on point, crazy on point, uh, without knowing anything about me. And we've created a bit of a, a relationship via, via email. And another one eventually came my way. But I, I got it last time right about um, August last year as we were about to head into the Chilcotins for um, deep inquiry and ceremony, which I'm about to do again on Monday. And so I said to her, can this, can grandmother doll come with me? And she said, well, yes, she can, but she has to be smudged every night and she has to be wrapped after ceremony and you have to take her out and you have to smudge her again and unwrap her. Which I said, did she feel the first couple of days? I was like, well, this is cool and new. <laughs> this is great. And then on day eight, I was like, well, it's kind of a lot of work. <laughs> and I just, you know, I was told. So I listened to it as being, I was in full belief that that was the truth. And by the end, my relationship with this, you know, piece of art and the community that surrounded it, like as I passed the grandmother doll around the circle, is, you know, men were crying. Mm. And it was just what you hold reverence for, what you're in devotion to, um, you know, is powerful. It's powerful. And so I think that's what you were just saying about all of it. If we go through on our walks through nature, when we give reverence to the ant, the little tiny ant it, and its power, we become more connected. Mm. Like, what are we paying attention to? What is it I am paying attention to? So that really has come up for me as well as the last couple of weeks. There has been, I have been in conversations around people that are struggling and perhaps their impact in the world, if their actions and choices have been harmful to them and others. But I woke the other day and I thought, um, when I am the harmer, I don't get to judge or discern the level of harm I have simply harmed. You know, I simply harmed and there's many times I've harmed and I can say, well, I did it with this way or this way or did it not, you know, but to sit in that was both super freeing, but also like, again, such humbling. I don't get as the person who has 
done harm. I don't get to to be in judgment about the degree of harm, the scale of the harm. Mm-hmm. And so we're working on that at home, where it's like an ant is the same as a bear. It's just we kind of like like bears. So where is that? Mm-hmm. So these, I when you're talking, she felt what really. I'm hearing so deeply is just like, I'm really getting it in ways that I haven't before is the reverence that's paid. It's like, I, all I can see in, even as you talk is the devotion to, um, to the teachings, to the learnings and the power that, so, you know, the power that that gives. So tell me, tell me about prayer. Tell me about devotion. Tell me about reciprocity. Well, let me preface it with this teaching was passed on to me many years ago. And this grandmother said, you know, Takoja, grandson, you're never going to solve all the issues before you solely through the intellect. Because it's the nature of the intellect. For every problem it solves, it creates 10 more. That's how come we have this incredible science that we are all experiencing in the positive and the negative. Mm-hmm. But it's only when you open your heart and you make the journey from the head to the heart and heart to the head, are you really going to be able to dissolve those states of consciousness in which the intellect cannot transcend? So prayer is when you're able to, from my perspective, so many definitions of prayer, when you're able from the soul of your soul to have a conversation with our Creator, with whoever it is that you see as your spiritual teacher or your relative or this higher power, and it's something where your heart and mind are one and you're longing or giving thanksgiving from the core of your soul for the good things you've been given. Or at times when we're at this place where we don't know what to do, we have to open our mind and heart and the tears flow. When the tears flow, it's not the pain, it's a release from the pain. And as those tears flow and our heart opens, all of a sudden, we know exactly what to do. Exactly what to do. So connecting our heart and our mind is so important. One of the one of the things we just discussed is about uh, this whole thing of getting caught in the material world or mm-hmm. in the spiritual, whatever. But back in the late 60s, they were doing studies to, to try to understand the difference of how indigenous children learned and children from European backgrounds mm-hmm. learned. And what they found was is that indigenous languages, by and large, and not, I can't say I've ever... I can't say I know every indigenous language. I can say it's the same in in, uh, in Bolivia, in Quechua and Aymara as it is up here. But they're verb-dominated languages. They see the world as a motion picture, right? So they saw these children, they see the world as a motion picture in a holistic sense. It's a whole dimension. That's right brain. Whereas left brain is a verb, is a, is a noun-dominated. So English, all the Romance language, English, French, Italian, so forth are all noun-dominated noun dominated languages. They see the world as a snapshot. Exactly we're talking about 
reductionism, reduction, reduce everything down, 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 down. Well, that's the gift, of course, of science. But at the same time, you know, when I heard this, I thought they said, shoot, I don't want to be a half-wit. <laughs> I want to see the whole motion picture and have a stop the frame right there to see what's going on. And when I first began, I remember the first time I got a chance to go back to Washington, D.C. in 1972. At that time, I'd come back from Bolivia. I was working at a place called the American Indian Career Center, which had 72 women, indigenous women, single or divorced. And they came there and brought their children, and they they had a home care, and they had their own apartments, and they had station wagons that go out. They were, you know, pretty well uh, in a place where they could really develop skills that they could go back in their communities and work. And so the government, in their great wisdom, decided to close it. <laughs> so I had to go back to Washington D.C. Uh, to 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 kind of negotiate, so to speak. Because I was, they felt I could could do that. So the funny thing was, I'd hardly get my story out of my mouth, and the meeting would be over. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'd go back, you know, clear back, and so forth. And they wanted to get, you know, they were about the facts. Mm. Boom, 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 boom. You know that part, the nouns. I was about the big journey, you know. So then I realized I've got to do both. There's times. When we communicate, we have to be walk the spiritual path with practical feet. Walk the mystical path with practical feet. We have to be able to be able to give those facts that people need to know. At the same time, we have to be able to tell stories too. Mm-hmm. Need them both. Need them both. Need them both. And that's what I think, by the way, is happening right here. We're beginning to share together. Because really, about this cultural appropriation, let's take away everything from a culture that they did not themselves produce themselves. Well, you know, while I'm sharing with you various things that happen to be passed on to me, I'm very thankful that I have the cell phone that I can call somebody I need to call and talk to them who I miss. I'm happy to have, by the way, uh, 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 an automobile to travel and see new things. In fact, last of this this little story, I think, will spur a little conversation. I remember back in the early 1970s after I'd come back from Bolivia, and this is when the whole awakening happened after the Watts. The Watts kind of awakened this whole thing was already too black. So you see the shikis and, and uh, uh, you know, hairstyles and so forth going back to kind of an African style. Mm-hmm. It was all right to be black, right? So then we had Wounded Knee. And this whole awakening began to happen in our indigenous communities. And so at that time, my gosh, everything had to be traditional. I mean, you know, not everybody was like that, but I mean, especially those relatives who, who were seeking out that identity. So we had guys that were beating their glasses. Everybody had to wear cowboy boots or a beaded belt buckle or whatever. You know, I tried to grow braids, but, you know, the problem was my, my curly hair, it looked like somebody... So stuck me in an electric light socket. My hair went straight like that. I kept trying. My dad finally says, "You know, son," he said, "Some people can wear braids, some can't." He says, "You're one that can't." He said, "Won't make any difference in the end anyway because you won't have any hair." Hard <laughs> and hard. You know, I do have. Thankfully, you do have some hair. I have some hair, but I can see my little tiny braids being <laughs> pretty tiny. And so, anyway, during this time that we really, oh my God, we have to be so traditional. So we went to see 
our dear brother down here at Lummi Reservation, mm. Gary Hilaire. He's a fifth generation carver. And I was with this good brother of mine, Phil Lucas, who's since passed the spiritual world. And here was Gary. He was preparing a totem pole using a chainsaw. And my God, Phil, I think it was about me. Gary, how can you do this? You're a traditional carver. How in the world can you be using this chainsaw? I guess he... <laughs> and Gary talked very slowly. <laughs> and he always, he turned his, he's turned his chainsaw and he says, well, I can see we have to have a talk. <gasps> he said, you know, my Lummi people was part of this great Salish nation. I can see this. Are among the wisest people on the face of Mother Earth. And we always use the best tools available. Right. <laughs> so if you don't think my relatives would have used this chainsaw <laughs> and do their work, you don't know the wisdom and intelligence of the Lummi people. Right. If you don't think my relatives would have gotten to 747 to go see what was over beyond the horizon, then you don't know my Lummi people. We always use the best tools available to us. And so that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Yeah, that's where we're at. But without the spiritual foundation that we can harm, these, these technologies can be very harmful. Mm -hmm. We can see what happens if our children's lives aren't balanced and all of a sudden they get caught up in computer addiction. You know, all these games, you know, let's play on the senses, etc. So we have to balance, be balanced. Mm -hmm. Talked about that a little bit in the plant space, the ceremonial plant space of just where is it in you know where are we in the middle ground where are we in the middle path yeah. you know where are we in um honoring and and where are we in mindfulness and and just and or is it becoming another seeking technology of just trying you know we're just trying to fill ourselves with, with something different you know our elders say you cannot take anybody in a ceremony any place you haven't been so now we're using all these indigenous plant medicines, which were really communal yeah. and very highly respected and, and protected. And so they've been taken from the community of the people who actually raise them and know them, like ayahuasca, for instance. And now, after a few experiences, next thing we know, somebody's become now an ayahuasca you know, practitioner of ayahuasca. Now, the issue is if the relative who's the one conducting that ceremony has issues with women or money or all kinds of things, these medicines can be abused. And, and this abuse, by the way, this doesn't take place in churches. It takes place in any kind of spiritual event, whether it be a sweat lodge, sun dance, uh, going to church, you know, whatever it is, because the people are hurt, we're dealing with intergenerational trauma. So I really feel that, that for instance, we, we're working very closely with our local Amazon track. We're going in there uh, in September. And, you know, really I believe that, that we need to really honor those relatives where that medicines come from and really understand and know that this is a communal medicine. You know, the whole community ensures that everybody within the community is safe. Safe, mm -hmm. safe. Everybody's safe. And then it's energetic. And we talk about that in plant medicine. I feel like that in 
therapy. I feel like that in coaching. Yes. I'm like, and, and it's not in a judgment of individual and we all start somewhere, but it's, for me, it's like, make sure the insurance, the discernment for myself that the energetic field is, is clear for me mm-hmm. as I sit now, as I sit here at this stage, at this stage. And, and how, how does that work? And how do I, it is a decision. I don't care whether it's the lawyer you choose. I mean, Zach, we talked about this so much. And Deuce talk about when, you know, money was cut, sort of being offered your way around. That's all I said to you, remember, is I kept saying, it doesn't matter that they have a lot. Lovely that they like you. Didn't know that that was what we were <laughs> talking about that. here. That's but nice that they like you. That's <laughs> nice they like you. Does it mean you should take their money? You know, and I, I literally said to you at one point with one of the fellows, I was like, you sh- I would talk, you know, the person you talk to is the you know, I don't love this word. I don't love the word ex, but his ex-wife talk to that person. <laughs> That's the person to talk to because if they're saying, yeah, didn't work between us, but this person is, is holding a good energetic vibrational field, then, you know, maybe, and I talk about this so often now, what's the energy of mm-hmm. the money you're letting in? What's the energy of the, the grasping or the, the wanting or the wanting to be, um, so I think in anything that we're allowing somebody in closely to our heart, and you know, when you said heart and head, that me, that's wisdom, you know, heart and head's that mm-hmm. intersection. Yes. A wisdom is in our wisdom field are going to affect what I think we need, we need to be in high discernment, mm-hmm. high attention of ourselves and others. Yes. Why are we inviting it in? Yes, exactly. Yeah. My father always said to me, he said, son, always know where you're coming from. Always know where you're going, but most of all, know who you're traveling with. Mm-hmm. Know who you're traveling with. And I think that that can be applied directly to our journey in ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Any kind of ceremony. Any kind of ceremony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In life's of ceremony. Totally. Every moment is a ceremony. And, and, and the person we choose to be with and walk this journey with is the same. That's the ceremony. Even when Jonathan, who you guys know a bit, Jonathan um, is, you know, he's really spent a lot of the last three or four years um, in teaching around tea. He's got two tea teachers and he's really loving tea ceremony and the energetics and he's done so deep learning. But I feel good receiving tea from Jonathan. Right. And it's mm-hmm. and he changes the energetics of the tea itself, but it is his um, devotion to the ritual of serving tea and to the product that he's using and always talking about honoring the tea by telling me where it came from, mm-hmm. you know, where what region it came from. And I, I'm like, yeah, I'll, give me your tea, you know, mm-hmm. it's medicine. His tea is medicine. Mm-hmm. The tea is medicine. His tea is a special type yeah. of medicine. That kind of takes me to um, a curiosity. You spoke on uh, ocean water sharing similarities to our blood. And, um, and I, since Zach loves water I, right I'm, now. <laughs> I'm very curious about water mm-hmm. and soil, earth and sun kind of returning to these elements of of places of energy, places of, of holiness and reverence. So I just wanted to kind of maybe give space for you to share 
your connection, your experience with the elements of water, earth, sun, and any other mm-hmm. kind of elements you feel inspired to, to speak on? Well, you know, I, I had um, back surgery here a little over three weeks ago, and um, of course they went in and, and uh, into my L4 and L5 and cut away bone that was pressing into my spinal cord. And the therapy they recommended to me was uh, uh, aquatic therapy. And I'll tell you, when you get in that nice warm water and all of a sudden you're back in the womb mm-hmm. and all the things that you need to do and not harm yourself, you can do. And so, you know, what? I, I, every time I get you know, step into that pool and they put five pound weights on each of my feet and I put these things around my waist and I've got these, you know, all different things. You know, it's true. Childhood to childhood. We go from childhood to childhood. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being back in the womb. So water, water, water is life. Miniwakoni, water is life. It is life. And I remember the first year I Sundance with, with back in 1980 with this incredible beautiful human being, uh, Pete Catches. And so he liked, he liked to dance what they call two blue days and two yellow days, meaning two days and two nights nonstop. Mm-hmm. No food, no water, no sweats, anything. Just day and night. <laughs> <laughs> and it really gets hot out there in uh, South Dakota on the Sandy Rock. I mean, it was right over 100 degrees. So you, you keep on dancing all because I like I, for me I love that because I, I don't like to stop in between I just, just get, get it on you know? <laughs> get it on and so I remember, remember the last day before the piercing started we were I mean in the thing which you really realize is this is nice for me it wasn't the food that bothered me not eating food it's so water your start, lips start to crack your tongue gets thick. And I remember <laughs> we were all there. Just, I mean, really, all of us, I know, were longing, longing for water. I mean, more than longing, just, you know, visualizing, you know, ice flowing over us and water and all this. <laughs> and then Pete always would say at these very appropriate moments, he says, now he said, you young men can understand Water is medicine. Right. Water is medicine. The first medicine is water. Mm. Drink that water. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, from our Mother Earth that we walk on her. And actually, you know, my father tells a story when he was a young boy. And this uh, grandfather would come, uh, Joshua Lodog, who fought in the Custer battle. And he, he'd come, of course, he all, all done, spoken the Dakota language. But he would come and visit with my uh, uh, great-grandfather, and the two of them would go back, back and forth. And he wasn't very tall, Lodog wasn't very tall, kind of wiry, maybe 5'7". But we'd hear him walk, he'd walk on his heels. I mean, he sounds like he's about seven feet tall. <laughs> and so when he come to stay, and we came for what they call an Indian visit, that means you come in October and leave about 
April. Because <laughs> they said, how in the world can we visit about our lives in a few hours? <laughs> so let's call it Indian visit. And, and so in that, in, 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 uh, in that, in that visit, uh, he would arrive, uh, my great-grandmother would want to prepare kind of a bed for him. He'd say, yeah, no, no, no. He said, I want to sleep on the breast of my mother. Because if I'm up there and I'm sick, how can she heal me? I want to sleep on my mother's breast. And I remember when uh, this elder Frank White Buffalo man, my grandfather, came from Standing Rock. He was actually a great-grandson of Sitting Bull. And... In fact, we made a film on this, what he shared. But out behind where my parents live, there's a beautiful stream and some trees there. So we started walking along with the trees. He said, he said, Tagoja, grandson, he says, what are those, what's the water saying to you? And of course, I, everything was sacred. So I said, it's sacred. He said, no, listen carefully. He said, carefully, what are the trees saying to you? He said, look at the water, look at the stream. Wherever it goes, it's always itself. It never turns its back or anybody or anything. It's, it always seeks the lowest spot, very humble. But if even a mountain's in its way, it keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming until a mountain is washed away. Mm-hmm. He said, these are the qualities we have to have. That water can teach us. He said, look at those trees standing there. And I looked, <laughs> there's different trees standing there. What do they say to you? <laughs> He said, look, he said, this tree doesn't tell the other one to move over. You know, the alder tree doesn't tell the sycamore tree to move over. Or the willow doesn't tell this cottonwood to move over. They stand it together. Their arms upraised in thanksgiving to the creator, protecting one another. He said, this is the way you need to be, like those trees. And so everything was alive. Everything was a teaching, everything around us. Every person, every human being has a story to tell. Every, all life. And we are that. All of us. Thank you. That's uh, beautiful reminders, you know, all living things, all interconnected. Energy goes where energy flows. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. The water thing has been so resonant for me. I, I haven't gone to the aqua <laughs> ones yet, but that's been a bit of my rehabilitation, getting back to walking, which has also been interesting to understand that my brain literally shut down a whole piece of itself to say, well, I don't need the energy. You can't walk right now, so I'm just going to take that energy and put it elsewhere. And now re-engaging it, you know, mm. understanding what this means for my brain, understanding what this means, like I said, for my nervous system, for my pain body, for my, um, my emotions. But getting back in the water and, you know, at first, the first couple of times I went, I couldn't walk at all, as you guys know. So I would 
get in there on my crutches and then I couldn't get near the pool. So I'd go on my bum and I'd crawl over on my bum to the water. Mm -hmm. And then I was freezing the whole time because I was still a little bit um, in a bit of shock still going through my body. And I put on my other ship yellow hat and I go in the water and I looked so intense. I know I did like every stroke was like mammoth, you know, to this point now where I can like semi walk in I sometimes need a bit of a crutch and then go down and I can actually do something called fairly close to laps but it it's every morning it's been the most or most morning it's, it's been one of the most difficult and one of the most like mm-hmm. I've been in such gratitude for mm-hmm. its existence to allow me to actually connect back to parts of my body mm-hmm. such gratitude yeah. for you know I'm looking forward to when it's not in a pool, when it's in the ocean and in the lakes and everything. But yeah, so I've been very thankful to water for the, um, for the last three months, you know, just super thankful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can we do a little bit of a pause and do a poem? Of course. Um, And then, uh, Chifa, what we usually do is sort of say what resonates for us, if that's a little bit of inquiry for self. And this is, um, a poem I used this morning with um, a group of women, women on Zoom and a group of men will do the same on Thursday. And what I'm loving about those contemplations and those convenes is the way that I don't even have to ask questions anymore of the people. They just, they're listening to their own questions that resonate with them. You know, and this is called, um, it's by Erica uh, Zhang. It's called, You Are There. You Are There. You Are There. You have always been there. Even when you thought you were climbing, you had already arrived. Even when you were breathing hard, you were at rest. Even then it was clear you were there. Not in our nature to know what is journey and what arrival. Not in our nature to know what is journey and what arrival. Even if we knew, we would not admit. Even if we lived, we would think we were just germinating. To live is to be uncertain. To live is to be uncertain. Certainty comes only at the end. Yeah. See. What's up for you in that one, Dean? Uh, I love it. There's a there's a book that I love called The Sin of Certainty. <laughs> and it's all about like spiritual growth and development yeah. in that when we think we are we have arrived and we are certain about these things that are ultimately mystical and mysterious and invite us just to continually keep moving forward uh that is the greatest sin to think that you've arrived and and i love i love that that even if we were there we wouldn't know because the point is to always keep going right yeah i'm not a golfer (laughs) but i love i can appreciate the sport because the people who are the best in the world are never satisfied because they know they can be better and that it's this pursuit of always, well, I could have hit that shot better. I could have played that green better. I could have, you know, and I can appreciate that someone who is on the pro tour is like, wow, that's the, they're the best golfer in the world. Mm-hmm. And in their mind, they're like not even close, you right. know, because it's that perpetual journey of continuing to learn and grow and hone the craft. And I apply that in my own walk as a spiritual being to say, the moment I think I've arrived is the moment I need the most help. And then maybe the other consideration to that is you're always arriving. 
<laughs> you're always arriving, but that's different than I have it sorted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I never have it sorted, but I'm always arriving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that presence of arriving now without uh, no, you know, future tripping and no past. I was, I had a group of uh, immersion last week, women and then men, and, um, you know, beautiful souls, all of them, 26 or 28 of them, I think, through the week. But um, one of the guys kept saying, you know, my inner child and my core wounds. And I was like, sometimes we need to figure out exactly where things came from. And sometimes we just need to do something different. <laughs> my, my consideration is perhaps just do something different. <laughs> just stop working on what had happened. Yeah, so that idea of journey. What about for you, Zach? I like that idea of doing something different. I think we get stuck in these paradigms and these routines and, and uh, to turn left instead of right opens new possibility. But while you were reading it, I was thinking, I love that, you know, different lights go on for different people. If you thought of a book, I thought of a song. Yeah, what was your um, song? There's this band that I like called Man Man. <laughs> And uh, I feel like it's a Buddhist saying, but um, or any any cultural saying, but it's uh, I saying that uh, nothing is everything and everything is nothing. And I was just kind of thinking about that, you know. Yeah. Um, you can get somewhere expecting to have like in that I love that Wes Anderson movie Darjeeling Limited yeah yeah where they're like lighting the incense waiting for the spiritual experience and they're <laughs> like right. are you having a spiritual experience did we did we do <laughs> did it, we do it right? so you know we can arrive and experience nothing but we can also experience everything and nothing you know like it can yeah, be yeah, seeing yeah. that ant or presence a glass of, of water or our presence of emptiness presence of emptiness yeah, probably so. one of the um, most deeply profound states of being. Yes. Yeah. Presence of emptiness. What about for you, Chiefil? What resonated for you? The whole uh, realization that the creator of all good things is 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 like we call something sacred moving, because or the unknowable essence. Because you know, if you conceive in your mind. The greatest, the, the wise one. Then we're forced to admit the very embodiments of wisdom have been created by this power. If I call this power the all-knowing, I'm forced to admit the very, very wellsprings of knowledge have been created by this this creator. So this universe we live in is full of it's mystery. The great we call it the great mystery. We don't know what's before us. You know, we do know that we do our best to follow a spiritual path, to 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 know where we're coming from, know where we're going, who we're traveling with. At the same time, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And that's why they say be careful about getting a spiritual ego where you begin to think you're better than mm. other human beings. <laughs> and you begin judging other human beings for their poor, pitiful spiritual state because nobody knows their own end. That very pitiful person you might be seeing as pitiful might, at the end of their lives, have an experience and completely get it. And on a journey. And you, who have this great spiritual ego, who thinks you're better than whatever, and that big spiritual ego gets hurt, 
you just follow the lowest abyss, you know. <laughs> don't ever judge anybody. Because we don't know our own end. Mm-hmm. But that's some of the things that evokes in, in my yeah, soul, my heart. Right. I, I, sorry, I was just thinking of um, beautiful, one of beautiful community member, a man who definitely in his journeys has eagle journeys. And, I, and he's soaring all the time. And I said, a smart eagle knows when to land. Okay. Yes. A smart eagle knows when you're, you know, you're going to perch and close those wings and you're just going to view and witness. You know, you don't always have to soar. And so that, yeah, all of that, hey, with the, that idea of, and what is it in our humanness that only wants to soar? What is it that only wants to soar and doesn't want to just land and be? And peace. why is yeah, peace. Yeah. Mm. just the peace? Ego. <laughs> yeah. Comparison, right? Look at what I can do. Look yeah. at me. Look at me. As opposed to, right? We think the eagle is meant to soar and it is beautiful to observe it, but it's equally as stunning and beautiful to watch it perch and rest. Rest. My father always compared this. He said, Son, he said, you have to learn to be like the ocean. Expand and consolidate. Expand and consolidate. There's always that rhythm. Expand, consolidate, where you where you take, expand and integrate what you've learned. Take time to reflect, quiet. Then you expand and consolidate. So that rhythm is right here before us, how, how to be. And I know for myself, you know, I can get to this deal where, you know, I'm going so fast forward, pretty soon you see all people with their heads leaning forward, running around. And so I've really had to learn, I'm still learning. You know, I think we learned the last breath we have and then beyond, Mm -hmm. but it's learning, you know, slow down, slow down, slow down. It's all, it's all unfolding, let it unfold. And also the other thing, that Crowfoot said, I think, really puts all this in perspective. He said, life, he said, life's like the breath of a buffalo on a cold day. Mm. Or a firefly on a warm summer night. Or the shadows vanishing before the setting sun. That's life. Mm. And I can tell you, almost 80 winters, I can tell you, it's truth. And I can, I don't know, people are saying time is speeding up and so forth. Or whatever it is, but it's, I, I looked at and speak to, I see other elders. I'm finally getting to call myself an elder. I'm a baby elder compared to once yeah. I get to 110 or so. But I, I said, you know, how in the world we get here so quick? And they yeah. shake their heads and said, I don't know. <laughs> this is this universal. Yeah. yeah. It's a feeling. And, 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 and I'm sure you're feeling it as well. Oh, oh yeah. 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 yeah, I still think I'm 22. Yeah, but I'm not. <laughs> no, you're not. I saw I saw a great uh, modern spiritual teacher that I really respect. He was speaking in Seattle, and I I went down there a few years ago and and saw him. And he he opened his talk on stage with a like a mist like a spray bottle. Yeah. Would, like mist, you know, your plants or right. whatever. With, and he got up on stage and just went. And you could see the mist in the lights, and then it just kind of faded. And he's like. And there we all are. And that was how he started his talk. Like it was that, that moment in time is it, right? Our lives, this whole long story, everything that we pour in and the beauty and the sacredness of it and the heartbreak and the healing and the love, 
is all encapsulated in and it's gone it's like oh the impermanence of it makes it all so much more beautiful and meaningful i love that and i was thinking of um she felt talking about like running you know kind of necks forward and that practice of presence that i i can tell in my body that embodiment when i'm not kind of over sit bones, over feet, when I'm like leaning forward and right away, you know, I used to think that that was like a connection, like, oh, I'm leaning forward into connection. And now I'm more aware of when it's like, I'm leaning forward into like inserting or imposing or leaning forward into trying to um, grasp or clutch or, or um, move something that's not yet ready to be moved. And where is it that I can come back? Mm -hmm. And then the difference between that and, you know, kind of moving in for a hug or a kiss like we often do with each other where it's like i i met with the invitation i met with the other coming forward too as opposed to you know just yeah. that yeah as clinny would say to me that seven-year-old's eyes that i just really need a kiss she, was, she said you actually don't need one but i can see that you want one yeah. and i was like oh darn yeah <laughs> you gotta get yeah i don't need that from you that's a lot to put on a seven-year-old a six-year-old but yeah so where is it that we're we're when when do we come back into and i love the word consolidation as opposed to contraction um i think i actually don't personally mind the word contraction but i think when there's this idea of a contracted state being lesser than the expansive state so consolidation is a beautiful way to put it. So yes. thank you for that word. Indeed. Because if we did go back to the word contraction, that contracted state is equally as important as the expansive state. As a matter of fact, we don't know that until this idea of expansion, until we 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 do contract. We don't mm. know the difference. But consol I'll take consolidated. I'm moving yes. ahead with that one. Permissions? Yes, Permission? absolutely. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, absolutely, because it's, it's consolidating all the expansion. All the expansion. Mm -hmm. We're not going to contract the no. expansion. No. I mean, you know, that's, no. But we're consolidating it. Yeah. yeah. We're integrating Assimilating it. Assimilating it, embodying it. Assimilating it. it. Yeah. Taking yeah. it in. Totally. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And where it, that can often only happen in pause. Mm -hmm. And so when we're, like you said, running, um, how can that happen in the pause? And in, I think it happens for me right now in permission. Someone said to me, you're the person I know who asks permission the most, you know, permission to ask that. And I was like, yes, because it's so empowering for me to be asking permission instead of imposing, mm -hmm. you know, my thoughts. And I also think that I'm hoping that we all we haven't asked permission enough, have we? We haven't asked permission. Mm -hmm. When you talk about this 500 years of darkness, no one was asking permission. Mm. No one was asking permission. You know, we, we, this is where we, where we really have been able to witness, I believe, the belief that science by itself is a superior power. And you might say that that we know for way, way many years before the relatives arrived from Europe, and the relatives coming here from Africa, from China, and all over the place. But that that really, if you go to any indigenous community across the Americas, really our ceremonies are very similar. Mm. They have to do with the four directions, Father Sky, Mother Earth. That really, other than yes, yes, there was some conflicts. But 
but really in we lived in relative peace and harmony compared to what was happening in some of the other parts of the world. And in so a way, you know, the world's round. <laughs> 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 yeah. And, you know, we're very curious beings as human beings, mm. you know, and sooner or later we're going to find each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, everything was very nice and peaceful and pretty quiet over here. But, but, but to really understand that the relatives who came, that's why I hitchhiked from a little place called Walla Walla, Washington to New York City and caught up freight over to Europe when I was 18, just turned 18 and spent a year over there hitchhiking around trying to understand what went on. And, you know, because I'm also a hybrid. You know, I've got some French and, and English and Irish. Now, how in the world they ever got together, I don't know how it ever happened. I don't know. And then, then I remember, I because I'm also a enrolled member of the Chickasaw Nation and the, the Yankton Sioux tribe. And so I, I guess I asked my mother, and I said, Mom, which are wilder, the Dakotas or the Chickasaws? She said, well, the D Dakotas. I said, well, that's what I am. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, my dad always says, he says, you know, son, I was born wild. I'm going to die wild. I don't want to part preparation age, fruit of underwear, diet Pepsi, culture. That's what, and we'd always say that. I was born free, and I'm going to die free. And really, it's really this thing of becoming detached from all save this holy power. Yeah. Free and severed. Free and severed. I'm feeling like we could go on forever. Yeah. And I'm knowing that um, I have a, a chief to deliver back to his home. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if we could close in short prayer for closing, but I'm wondering... If there's anything that needs to be said by either of you. And that, I would love to continue this conversation and, and, and read it again sometime. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this is a short or long question. You can make of it which, which you wish. Yes. But I'm wondering if there are any stories or wisdoms that you wish to part as we kind of wrap up this chapter of this conversation. When I first began traveling to attend various ceremonies to Sundance and to, to the Anika the Sweat Lodge and all these different ceremonies, you know, I talk about spiritual ego. And so one of my grandmothers had been watching me and she wanted to bring me down to earth. So she said, oh, Takusha, she said, I've been hearing you with all these ceremonies. She said, in a way, I said, yes. She said, well, tell me about them. And I said, well, I'll talk about the Sundance and all these different ceremonies. She said, well, Takoja, uh, I said, what's the most sacred ceremony of all ceremonies? <laughs> and so uh, I kind of didn't know quite what to say, you know. And I, so she, I started sharing this. She said, oh, she said, those are all great ceremonies, but always remember, grandson, the most sacred ceremony of all ceremonies is the birth of a child. Then she looked me right straight in the eye, and then she said, and who are you? Who are you? The center of the most sacred ceremony of all ceremonies. That's who we are, sacred beings. In this physical world of time and space, growing our spiritual arms and legs and eyes and ears, getting ready for this next stage in our journey, which will come when it comes. <laughs> I'm not going to rush it. <laughs> and the four of us are going to be on this journey forever in our own ways. Mm-hmm. Now, how exactly we're going to interact, 
that's a mystery, but we will. Yeah. Because any love we've ever had for anyone in this physical world, time and space will not be forgotten in the spiritual worlds to come. Oh. I think that's a prayer. I love that. Yes. Uh, and as an extension and in honor of that, um, I just want to say that I absolutely loved this conversation, loved this experience, and I'm so grateful to be entangled with all of you from now till <laughs> infinity yes. um, in, these, in this journey that we're on and just feel uh, a depth of gratitude that I want to share to you for the stories, the wisdom, the laughter that you've shared with us today. I truly feel like um, in this last hour and a bit that I've become just a better version of myself than I was before I sat down at this table. And that is a great debt to the wisdom that you shared. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Chief Phil Lane, for being here with us, for sharing your stories, for sharing yourself, your time, your energy. Um, and I know that the people who tune in and listen, even though they don't get to see you, they will experience that reflection that you hold up, that we will see ourselves in one another and the wisdom that you share will continue to shave us, uh, all of us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anything, sir? No, Anything? just uh, echoing, Dean, just uh, immense gratitude for, for you, Phil Lane, uh, Chief Phil Lane, and, and for you, Judy, for, for bringing this conversation and these, mm. these spiritual bodies together. Mm. Um, like, Dean, I'm going to simmer in this conversation and, mm. and see where these reflections take me. So thank you, thank you, thank mm. you. Grateful for yourself and grateful for you, Judy. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's funny. I know you often ask, what does a little more good mean to you? Yeah, to the guests? Should we close it out? No, I, I don't think we should because I think we are we have a little more good. Yes. Mm. I think that, uh, and I'm also, you're a little more good, my friend. Yeah, you're a little more good. I'm also, along with consolidating, I'm also jacking that I've had a number of winters on this earth. <laughs> That's the way I'm going to describe my age from now. <laughs> exactly. Because it sounds so much better. But, uh, you know, both of you, I haven't been in studio for a couple of months, but um, I love you both secretly, dearly. Um, and just want to say that, um, you know, you both do a little more good. Me. You do. Every day I see who you are and I see what you do and I see the conversations you want to have. So blessed to always be in your space. And I, uh, yeah, I thank you for our time together. Thank you. I'm deeply, deeply humbled, really honored, feeling lots of love for you. Yeah, heart's pretty tender. So thank yes. you, thank you, thank yes, you. Thank you. Chief Phil Lane, I Judy mean, Brooks. Yeah, incredible. It, we're so privileged to be able to sit down and have conversation with each and every guest that comes on. They bring such a uniqueness. They have incredible stories. But uh, sometimes a conversation just like resonates and feels elevated. And, and this conversation with Chief Phil Lane and Judy was, was one of those real special moments. Um, just incredibly grateful. And, you know, like I said in the podcast, there there were moments where I just felt like I was on the verge of tears. I, I just felt as though Chief Phil was speaking uh, directly to my soul. Um, and I hope 
that for you listening, um, you had a similar experience that was just a profound joy, deep sense of being seen and felt and encouraged and loved and all of the things that, you know, Chief Phil can make you feel through his words and his stories. So um, yeah, just nothing but gratitude for, for that experience. And so, so happy that we were able to sit down with him and, and share it with all of you and, and kind of capture in essence, you know, Chief Phil Lane and, and just a, a, a small portion of the immense wisdom that he carries it with him. Mm, yeah, I loved when he would speak. He would, um, we, don't, we don't have video for this. Hopefully we get there, but uh, he would close his eyes and he would wait for the answer before he spoke. And you could see that he was going within and that all the knowledge that he shared came from deeply within, from mm-hmm. a source that uh, was connected to himself, but to the whole universe, to all, to all beings, to all, to all sentience. So yeah. uh, it was incredible to experience his, his wisdom and mm. knowledge and, and just how he connected to both himself and to those around him. It, mm. was, uh, it was a deep sense of, of connection and knowing. So uh, I'll sit and simmer in that uh, all, all of the awe and wonder and specialness that was that conversation and, and look forward to our next connection yes. with both Judy and Chief Phil Lane. Yes, I love when you meet someone and you're like, I just want to be like them when I grow up. Yes. You know, and that's the sense I had with Chief Phil was just this this beautiful essence that he has about him that I was like, that, if I could even reflect that just a tiny bit now and as I continue to grow and age and ah, what a what a goal to become someone like him. Yes. So yeah, deeply, deeply grateful for that uh, conversation. So happy to be able to share it with you all. And thank you for tracking along, for listening along. As we said before, the best way to support the show is leave us a review. Let us know what you liked. Let us know, um, yeah, you know, the parts that stood out for you. Give us a, a review on the little star rating there. It just helps out a lot. Support the show's sponsors, both AG1 and Caldera Lab. That helps us out a lot. And of course, uh, if you made it this far, you've obviously enjoyed what you heard. Share this with someone that you know would also enjoy this. All of the podcasts that I listen to the most and on the most regular basis are podcasts that usually Zach or someone close to me has sent and said, you got to check this out. So it's the best way to spread the message and to, um, yeah, allow other people in on this beautiful message that uh, Chief Phil shared today. So thanks for making it this far. Appreciate you all. And until next time, stay good. Peace.